When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome back. It is always great to have you. So for my preamble tonight, I I think I wanted to mix it up a little bit for you guys. All right, now bear with me. I realize that a lot of you that are tuning into this episode just want to hear the interview uh, that we did with Commissioner McGlade. So I'm going to play the intro, and then I'm going to get right into the interview. So if you don't want to hear me and Blackburn and Curry Hicksage ramble on about UD and UMass and the upcoming game on Saturday, you don't have to. Just remember that your old pal Sully did you a favor. So let's get into it. Let's go. Jones to Hall. Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. From Hall. The place goes. And at the buzzer, the Dayton Flyers. And the Dayton Decibel. Sanford. You are now tuned in to the number one podcast in the Atlantic 10 and among Dayton Flyers basketball fans everywhere. Brought to you by the Blackburn Review and always a work in progress. on now with the A-10 commissioner, Bernadette McGlade, and I am honestly so thrilled that we got this interview together. Uh, It's a long time coming. It has been an email exchange back and forth since, I believe, July or August to get this on the calendar, but I have to imagine that the A-10 commissioner is quite a busy lady. So, Commissioner, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? Great, Dan. Appreciate it. Appreciate your... uh time and uh, looking forward to visiting with you for a while. Absolutely. I mean, we had to get something on the calendar ahead of Brooklyn because I, I don't want to be walking in cold just looking around and having no familiarity with uh, with who you are and who I am. So this is why got to get together, talk some hoops, and, uh, and let the fans know a little bit of the inside workings of what's going on in the conference office. So thanks again uh, for joining us. Um, for the interview today, uh, I wanted to start uh, specifically in something that was interesting uh, to me to get started. Uh, pretty simple question. How does one become the commissioner of the A-10 conference? Let's walk through your journey a little bit to get here. 
Um, that's a, a great question because even though I'm a commissioner, I, I really don't know how I ended up here. But um, yeah, I was a student athlete, played at University of North Carolina. I knew I wanted to coach. I was fortunate enough to get hired and coach in the ACC at Georgia Tech. Moved into an administrative role um, at Georgia Tech in the early 90s. And from there, um, I left campus and was fortunate to be hired by John Swafford at the ACC. Uh, spent 11 years at the ACC. And, um, you know, all of a sudden I, I answered the, the phone one day and the A-10 was um, in a national search for their commissioner's position. And I was fortunate to be one of their candidates. And um, it was an opportunity that was too good for me to pass up. And once I was offered the position, I accepted it um, with a lot of appreciation and hard to believe I've been in this role now for uh, going on 12 years. I was just about to say, I, I don't want to show my own age here, but you were the commissioner when I was in school and I graduated in 2012. So it goes back a few years now. It does. I was hired and I started in July of 2008. I think most people remember that we were in a, a um, state of financial difficulty across the country in 2008 and nine. So when I took the reins of the A-10, one of the first things that we really had to address was to uh, really take a good hard look at our financial stability and um, make some decisions to be able to get the conference back on a uh, solid footing. That was one month before I took campus at the University of Dayton. So <laughs> time flies. Time flies. <laughs> Would you say when you joined the conference office that that was the, the biggest challenge that you faced? Because I imagine um, you know, when you come from the ACC to go to a new conference, uh, not to say they're in over your head, but I, you know, I guess my question is rooted in the fact that like, what was the, the biggest hurdle you had to get over or was, did you have that moment where you're like, Oh my God, what am I doing here? <laughs> yeah. I think everyone has that moment at, at some point when you take the next step up in your professional career. And I, I often tell people two things that, when I was at the ACC, I said, you sleep really well when you're the number two person. Um, and then all of a sudden you become the number one person and you, you spend a lot of uh, sleepless nights um, thinking about all of your constituents and your schools and what you're going to do to advance the league. Um, um, but the other thing that I found was, was so similar that, you know, the enthusiasm, the, in, the intensity of the coaches, the quality of the people in the schools we're all very, very similar. It's just um, the Atlantic 10 was a, a different opportunity because it was the first time that um, I was really working in a professional setting and not dealing and you know intensely with the sport of football. Um, with the league being a basketball-centric league, um, that was a little bit of a transition uh, for me that was different from my career at Georgia Tech, uh, where I oversaw football operations and the other sports, as well as working with our football championship, et cetera, when I was at the ACC. Yeah. And of course, since that time, you know, the A-10 has really prided itself on on being, you know, basketball centric conference. And I think that's why, um, you know, me and of course, my listeners really love, you know, the landscape here. And that's, you know, what we talk about often is that Dayton, you know, loves to be in a basketball specific conference because we're a basketball specific school. Uh, but going off of that and, and talking about the challenges that you mentioned here, um, you know, since you, you've taken over, the conference has gone through a state of 
uh, adding teams, teams leaving, you know, subtracting. And, and so I, you know, really wanted to get your insights on, on what are the challenges that, that come with that? Or, um, you know, what does the search look like, you know, after those teams take off? Well, every every commissioner really stays focused on its membership. And as you know, we went through a, a rocky time with conference realignment several years ago. Um, and the A-10 was in transition. I knew when I um, accepted the position, I knew that uh, Temple really needed to find a home for its um, football program. I knew that Charlotte really needed to find a home for its football program. So there was no, um, you know, there were no secrets there. And as a matter of fact, we worked very well together to try to make that happen. Um, and then, you know, when you talk about adding membership to your conference, the profile of the institution, it's not just solely about the sports team, but it's about the academic and athletic combined profile, sure, sure. Um, the geographic footprint, the um, commitment to be a basketball centric. And, and when the football schools had to make a decision to move to a conference where they could secure a football schedule, et cetera. Our focus was very much institutions that were basketball centric within our footprint and of the academic caliber of institution um, that was a, a good profile fit for the league. And how long does that process take? Because I guess in my head, I'm just picturing like the phone call from the Xavier Athletic Department that says, hey, you know, we're going to explore other opportunities and go to the Big East. I mean, is that a fire drill that lasts a week, a month, a couple of months? Um, it's definitely not a week. These are decisions <laughs> that institutions think about for a long time. Um, and there are decisions that conferences think about for a long time. So there's a lot of confidential consternation that goes on within the leadership of a university and or college before they make a decision to perhaps consider changing conference membership. Um, and at the same time, there's that same confidential consternation and analysis and um, review process that each conference goes through when they are considering either expanding and or constricting their membership. So there are a lot of moving parts. Um, it rarely happens quickly. And sometimes to the public, if it seems like it came out of nowhere, you can be assured that it has been worked on behind closed doors for quite a long time. And I think that's um, something that listeners certainly aren't privy to because, you know, these are the conversations that, um, you know, like you said, happen behind closed doors that we really don't get that visibility into as fans. Um, but a lot of times I think me personally, I wish we did just for the simple fact that uh, there are a lot of people that um, they care about this conference. And the, the gentleman that joined me on the, the podcast today, uh, Curry Hicks Sage from UMass, he's definitely one of those guys that really loves uh, the conference, but going off that same point in, uh, you know, how you guys are evaluating the health and strength of the conference, you know, moving forward, has it been discussed uh, th that the best avenue for the conference uh, is adding or subtracting? I mean, basically, the question is, how do you go about evaluating the health and strength of the conference moving forward? <clears throat> Well, I think you have to take a good hard look at your membership. We're a 14-member league. We're one of the larger conferences in the country. Um, we have a tremendously powerful footprint. Um, in fact, we're in 30% of the media markets in the country. Um, when you consider the strength of, of our academic institutions and the reputations and where 
each of our schools ranked nationally academically within their own scope. And then the caliber of um, athletic programs that we have. Um, and, and you combine that. I mean, right now, even in terms of like the academic performance rate and graduation success rate, you know, for a conference that has had so much success in the sport of men's basketball and our other sports, yet we're ranked number three in the country. You know, we're sitting there right there in the same company. You have the Ivy League, the Patriot, you have um, the Big East, the A-10 and the ACC. And, you know, that's pretty strong company to be ranked that high academically as well as as high as we are athletically. So, you know, when, when looking at the overall strength, I think you we always look at what each member um, is contributing. And that's not the same for every member. And, you know, it takes a lot of diversity to develop strength as a league. So, you know, we have small private schools. We have religious faith-based schools. We have large land-grant institutions. And I think that diversity and the size of our footprint um, really helps us in terms of the success that we've been able to enjoy from our media contracts to our championship sites and arenas to our sponsorship and support partners. You bring up a good point. I think I, I never really gave enough consideration to this. Um, you know, as the A10 landscape has changed and evolved, um, I think a lot of people were clamoring for you know let's only go for private schools, only schools that focus on basketball. And, and I think it's refreshing to hear that you know the A10 has kind of taken uh, more of a, an approach to get different types of institutions. Um, you know, do you kind of see that? evolving in in into the the next few years or do you kind of like having that good mix of schools do you think that that's what keeps the conference like very balanced i think the diversity and the depth and breadth of our individual institutions from the size when you think of you know how large an institution like umass is to then you compare it to a smaller enrolled institution like a davidson college but I think they complement each other. So uh, the, the diversity has really been an asset for the A-10. And I think it's something that we will continue to maintain because we want to continue to be a nationally relevant conference. We don't just want to be a regional conference. You know, we go as far west as St. Louis, you know, as far north as Ole in New York, as far south as, you know, Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. And the whole East Coast corridor is, is a powerful market, as we know, when you're talking about New York being the number one market in the country, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. And not that we feel slighted out in Ohio, but you know, we'd love to have somebody a little bit closer to our backyard. You know, it wouldn't be the worst thing for us out in Dayton. Um, when you took over, uh, I know that there was uh, somewhat of a five-year plan in place that involved, of course, adding uh, Virginia Tech. Listen, guys, we all make mistakes. We're all human. I don't know why I said Virginia Tech here. We all know that I meant to say VCU. I'm sorry. Facts matter. And George Mason. 
Uh, and so I, I noticed that, you know, the, the next five-year plan is kind of culminating in, in 2021 here. And, and I was curious, you know, not to get too far into the nuts and bolts, but, you know, how you see that next five years after 2021 evolving. And of course, um, you know, there's a lot of other issues that I don't really want to get into today about, you know, the player's image and likeness. Those are things that I don't care to touch on this podcast today, but, you know, what do you see as the next five-year plan for the A-10 uh, in 2021 and beyond? Well, we're working really hard as we speak on our next um, iteration of our media contract. Um, we've been blessed to have a really a superb contract for the last six years with ESPN, NBC Sports, CBS Sports, and then we um, are in a partnership with ESPN Plus and Stadium. Um, so all of those contracts are getting ready to um, – come to a conclusion. So we're in the process of uh, negotiating new contracts. And as you know, there's a new wide world out there from the way fans and alumni consume sports, live sports. Mm -hmm. It's not just on your traditional television slash cable companies. Um, There's, you know, the whole digital world and, you know, um, what we would consider, I we used to say non-traditional when we would talk about, you know, Google, YouTube, Netflix, Amazon, you know, Apple TV. And it's funny in the last six months, I feel like to say non-traditional, they're not non-traditional anymore. Like we, we all are like in our living rooms and, you know, kids in the house, you know, they kind of look at us strangely when we, when we even mention sometimes network TV. Um, so, you know, I think we, as the, as the A-10, want to be always on the cutting edge. We want to be able to partner with distribution, media distribution tech companies that can deliver our inventory, our programming, our sports contest, our special events, preview shows to as high a number of our alumni and fans, not only in the country, but internationally. We have a huge international base, as you know, not just with the Dayton alumni, but many of our institutions have campuses abroad. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we want to make sure that we are reaching um, all of those constituents. Um, you know, the, the old adage, the, the book from, gosh, 25 years ago about the world is not flat. Like, you know, we've got to be able to um, be ever present and to be accessible um, in a very user-friendly way. So, you know, we're obviously addressing a lot of that. We also want to make sure that we protect the academic integrity of our institutions, that we're graduating our student athletes, that, you know, we have successful alumni that we re-engage. And you mentioned Brooklyn earlier, that we re-engage and they come back to the championship, whether we're in Brooklyn at the Barclays Center or whether we're at the Capital One Arena in Washington, D.C. or wherever we happen to be. Since you, you uh, have the stated position of a, a conference commissioner, did you ever see yourself turning into like a media executive that has to figure out that landscape as well? Have you found that challenging? Yeah, I find it challenging, but it's something that really intrigues me, um, even as far back as when I was um, my 17 years at Georgia Tech. I you know, did a lot of stuff with our, our local television packages and then at the ACC. So, you know, um, the, the media landscape is a fascinating landscape. I certainly don't consider myself an expert in any way, shape or form, shape or form. But I certainly it's something that as a commissioner, you, you have to be somewhat abreast of and you've got to stay up to date on it. So mm-hmm. you have to surround yourself with 
the individuals that are experts in that industry, just like you want to hire great staff, just like on campus, you want to hire the best coaches. You know, you're not an expert in everything, but you have to know what kind of team to build around you. Yeah, absolutely. And I completely agree and echo that sentiment. Um, when talking about the, the TV deals, I think that that's something that um, has been a huge topic of discussion, especially in fan forums and Twitter. You know, if you put any stock in just the conversation that goes on there, you, know, you can only, only take it with such a grain of salt. Um, but what have you found to be the biggest challenges in securing those media rights deals? Because, of course, for our listeners, a level set, you, know, you have to fight against uh, ESPN games. Games that are on, you know, the Big Twelve on like last you know, last night was Wednesday. There was Big Twelve games on. The Big East has FS1. Um, so, what have you found personally that's been the biggest challenge to kind of fight and get the A10 into those premier slots? Well, we haven't had any challenges because we have a dynamic package with ESPN, CBS, NBC Sport. We have over eighty games on national television. Um, and so, I think going forward, as we renegotiate, I think it's going to be. You always want to have a lot of bidders at the table. So hopefully mm. that will occur in the future. I certainly hope so, because I remember the days when I was in college where I was still listening to the radio. So it's absolutely great to have games on ESPN Plus now. It's only five bucks a month, people. Go out and buy ESPN Plus. You can see all the A10 games. <laughs> uh, so as we you know, have talked about a few of the, the aspects of the conference and um, you know, evaluating the strength and health of the conference and TV deals and, and all of the, all that good stuff, I, I wanted to shift quickly to uh, the A10 Mountain West partnership. For the listeners out there that don't know, uh, the A10 Mountain West announced a partnership, I believe it was two years ago. Is that, is that correct? Was it two years ago? Uh, yes, we signed it about two years ago or a year and a half ago. Okay. So two part question. Uh, I'm, I'm really, I'm hammering you with two part questions right now, but uh, number one, you know, how did that partnership come about? And, and do you see this as kind of the blueprint for leagues like the A10 um, to, to execute on basketball scheduling moving forward? Well, yeah, I think, you know, having a partnership with um, conferences like conferences are important. I mean, again, I when I was at the ACC, that was the beginning of the ACC Big Ten Challenge, and you've seen other challenges. You know, I think there's a lot of synergy. Um, Craig Thompson, the commissioner of the Mountain West, um, I've known him for a long time. We've worked together and in terms of um, scheduling, scheduling quality competition. And the fact of the Mountain West being an FBS conference um, – is is really powerful and also the fact that you know the a10 we want to be and we are a nationally relevant conference so we want to mm -hmm. have a more consistent presence in middle of the country west coast and then the same thing with the mount west they're a nationally relevant conference they mm -hmm. want to get into the east coast more and so it made really it made good sense you know they with their number of teams um, they have 11 teams and we had 14 teams so, um, you know, we, we talked about it, our athletic directors talked about it, and we made the decision and, and finally, you know, struck a deal with all the terms of, of what the games, how the games would be scheduled, when they would be scheduled, where they would be scheduled. And, you know, hopefully these first two years will be successful and we'll continue to renew that partnership. But um, I do think it's good business. I think it's good because you, you have quality games and it, it's important to get quality games at home. You know, we tend to everyone in division one hangs their hats on MTEs, 
But those MTEs are like all over the country, whether it's in Puerto Rico or Florida or Hawaii or whatever, which is great. But at the same time, if you're concerned about the health and the sport of men's basketball, you know, you have to, I call it feeding your home, your season ticket holder. Mm -hmm. And you know it well, being a, a Dayton alum, you know, you've got a, such a loyal fan base and, and your fan base in Dayton wants to be able to have a home ticket package where you're seeing really quality competitions. Mm -hmm. So getting scheduled, scheduling games and getting those games in your home arenas on campus, I think is really important for the health of the sport of basketball. Well, you are certainly preaching to the choir because I could tell you right now, if we field one thing on this website podcast, uh, complaints from fans, it's the home schedule. Um, and, and it's it's good to know that the A-10 is kind of taking a part in that. You know, not that it, it leaves Dayton exempt from scheduling those games, but when you partner uh, with the conference to try and get these things on the schedule, I think that's when it really starts to uh, have a trickle-down effect to, to get stronger games uh, on the schedule. The one thing that I was puzzled about, and, um, and not that I you know openly criticize this, but again, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but as far as the pairings for the A-10 Mountain West, uh, I noticed that you guys kind of scheduled them uh, I say you guys, the A-10 office scheduled them about a year out without seeing how this year transpired and how teams took the floor next season. Was there a specific reason that the A-10 and Mountain West decided to announce the pairing so early on? Yeah, as you can imagine, scheduling in the sport of men's basketball is very tricky. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times the personalities change. And um, again, having been through this a little bit with scheduling uh, partnerships with other conferences, um, sometimes it's hard to get those games scheduled. So we, when, when the Mountain West and the A-10 actually did our contract, we actually contracted in deadlines to be able to schedule the games, the dates that they were going to be played, when we were going to review and consider renewing, so that it, it was all very objective and um, everyone knew. The second reason that we wanted to get out a little bit further than just one year, like uh, I'm sure you're referencing, why didn't we wait till this May? Get through this season you got and it, then got schedule it. in May for it. Remember, the first game is, is this December, the 20th. Mm -hmm. So we actually wanted to be able to give a full year so that um, um, teams, if they wanted to pick up a second game, if it, if a, San Diego is coming in to um, St. Louis. They Do they want to pick up a second game? You know, everybody's building their schedules two, three, four years out. So when you're building in and, and when you when you go to the West Coast or, or somewhere, that is impacting maybe decisions of other games you might schedule at home or during exams or right after the holidays. So we really wanted to give the schools as much flexibility of knowing also knowing if they were traveling or not because the schools didn't have a choice. They were, they didn't have a choice to say, I want to play at home or I want to go on the road. So they to, for them to know that they actually had a road game. 
Yeah, and scheduling all that travel is obviously another hurdle that those those programs uh, undertake. So I can certainly understand where, you know, like you said, if you're going to go to uh, Air Force, maybe you can grab a game with Colorado while you're out there, or maybe you can catch another flight uh, to go to Boise since it's close by and they're in the Mountain West. So I, I can certainly understand um, getting out ahead of it. You know, it might end up leading to matchups that weren't necessarily as good as maybe they looked on paper the, the year and a half before. But again, to your point, that's kind of the risk you run and the, and the risk you have to take getting those on the schedule so that the schools can be prepared. Um, last question on this topic until we shift to the, the last bit of the uh, interview here. But do you see, um, you know, another partnership with another conference? Is that on the horizon? Uh, is that in the works right now? Or, or are you guys, you know, good with this partnership just for now? Well, we're good with this partnership. Um, we also have a very much a smaller scheduling partnership with just a limited number of teams, a couple out of the Missouri Valley, a couple out of Conference USA. Mm -hmm. We did what you would call sort of a, a round robin with four teams apiece. Um, and so we had uh, Bonnie's was involved in that. St. Joe's was involved in that. Rhode Island was involved in that. Um, and then, you know, at the same time, you know, with some of the conferences going to 20 games within their conference schedule, you know, their inventory to be flexible and schedule additional challenges are becoming limited. So I would say we're always open to the discussion. Um, but, you know, you, you almost have to wait to see if an opportunity becomes available. Absolutely. And that's that's the scheduling game in a nutshell. You know, you have to have the dates open. Everything has to work for both sides. And and that's really uh, the challenge. I know I tell people on the Dayton side of things all the time. Hey, you might want to go and, and play uh, Indiana or Notre Dame or whatever, but they have to pick up the phone. So, you know, that that always uh, is the challenge holistically. Um, last a little bit, uh, I wanted to save the best for last because this is certainly another hot button topic um, among, among conference fans and whatnot. But uh, this year, I don't think it's uh, saying anything that is shocking to anybody on the podcast and certainly not a slight to the rest of the conference schools. Uh, but some of the bigger games this year are on national TV, as, as they should be but ended up on Tuesday nights. Uh, for us specifically, our listener base is skewed heavily towards Dayton. Um, but I was curious, you know, if there was a reason for, let's you know, use the obvious example in front of us, uh, you know, both Dayton VCU games, premier games in the conference this year are, are on Tuesday nights. Is that something that's out of your control from a scheduling perspective? Well, it's not completely out of the control for um... – my staff member that does our men's basketball scheduling. Um, but at the same time, we have a pretty robust package with ESPN on our Friday night games. We've been able to corner that market um, a little bit in partnership with ESPN. And then, um, you know, so we would typically play on Wednesday, but, you know, we've had the opportunity to be able to slide some games um and it really as you can see all of the tuesday night games they're all nationally televised they're either espn or they're cbs games mm -hmm. so you know it's a it's it's a balancing act with kind of how the teams are traveling where they are traveling and then kind of the front and the back end of where they're going for their next game or where they've come from Certainly. And, and, you know, that that's, again, kind of goes back to the same thing with the scheduling conversation of, you know, not everything's always available. And if you play on Saturdays, uh, sometimes those games cannot be featured. So, you know, I'm always curious how that breaks down. 
um, in finishing up, and, and this is uh, is my last one for you. And again, appreciate the time. Uh, but when the schedule came out this year uh, in the A10, a lot of the pairings for the conference teams. Uh, in-conference play were similar. I, I think there was very little changes made to that. And with Conference USA specifically going to a format where they try to have their best teams play their best teams, uh, I was curious to know from the A-10 office if that's been given more consideration to say, okay, we know that these teams will probably be a little bit stronger this year. You know, obviously that that kind of changes and evolves as every year goes on. Uh, but has there been more a conversation around the A-10 office to say, you know, we got to try harder to match up our best teams with our best teams to play uh, twice instead of just that that one home or away game? No, because I think the depth of the A-10 has, is really the reason that we, we have the games that we play home and away. If you look at it, we have seven of our 14 teams right now that are in the top 100 net. Mm-hmm. I think you only want to do what you would consider a hybrid schedule that you talked about if you're a, a very top-heavy conference. And for some reason, you know, the rest of your conference isn't as strong and the A-10 is not in that situation. And so we, we wouldn't go down that road. As a matter of fact, I think it would be detrimental to go down that road. So, you know, when you look at right now, the majority of, of all of our teams that are the highest ranked in the net, their remaining conference schedules, they're all games that are in quad one and quad two. That's exactly what you want if you have a strong league from top to bottom. Yeah, and I'm of that frame of mind too. I uh, I'm not a believer of the Conference USA hybrid schedule. I don't think it moved the needle for them at all. And like you said, um, the A10 is much stronger in the middle of the conference, uh, I believe, than than they are. So it, it certainly doesn't doesn't make as much sense. Um, but you know, just finishing up with this, uh, when you guys go to consider the pairings for next year in conference Uh, again, not that I want to echo the same question, but you know, is there more consideration given to say who gets a home and home uh, when you look at the strength of the teams coming into the season? Well, we have a set of policies that are in place. You know, we obviously want to make sure that teams that have natural rivalries, you know, that they're always playing home and home. Yep. Um, Yep. You know, that's, that's a given we want, you know, Richmond VCU, regardless, they're always going to play home and home. Um, same thing with GW yep. Mason. And so there, there's probably like 14 key points that we use when we're building the schedule from year to year. And again, I think we've been fortunate in terms of the strength of the depth of the conference that, you know, we've been able to, um, build the schedule so that we can, and almost, you know, equalize you, you, you need to make sure that, even like if you look, you could build a schedule in the A-10 where a team maybe would never go further than two hours. Well, that's not really fair if you're dating and you're getting on a plane, right? And you're flying everywhere and spending yep. the yep. night before and, and getting home at four in the morning on a charter. So, you know, we, we try to take in all of those considerations. And I think the fairness and building an equitable schedule that is going to be the best national schedule is, is our goal. And, and we don't we don't veer away from that goal every spring when we are building the schedule. It's great to hear. Uh, before I let you go, I think all A10 community is wondering when is the next basketball game that you will be attending uh, in the A10 conference? Um, I'm going to be attending um, VCU this weekend. We've got Rhode Island coming into town. And so I will 
I will be in Richmond this week and I've been on the road a lot. So I get to stay close to home and um, catch a couple of games in Richmond with VCU and Richmond on Saturday. Sounds great. Uh, and uh, if uh, fans uh, see you, can they, can they come up and say hi? Are you very approachable? They, abs- they absolutely. <laughs> they have to introduce themselves. You know, just don't come up to me and start complaining about the officiating. All right. If you, if so that, that would uh, probably be a Dayton fan, to be honest with you. Yeah, if you do that, I'm going to, you know, call security. But absolutely, <laughs> come up and say hello. And I, I do want to throw in, I, I was out for the opening, uh, for Dayton's opening game. The facility, UD Arena, is fabulous. I think the renovations have been spectacular. It's just a, it's one of, it's a premier place um, to watch a basketball game. And just kudos to to all the fans, to the UD fans, you know, love them all. And, and I think it's, you should be very proud of, of Neil Sullivan and Dr. Spina and your whole board for that um, arena renovation. Really, really fabulous. So are we going to see you at a game before the end of the year? Uh, well, I've already been there once. I'm scheduled to see Dayton a couple of times on the road. Um, you know, I try to stay just a couple of days out with my travel schedule and commitments on the men's basketball committee. Um, I, I'm, I'm not really thinking about where I am in February. That's what my staff, they keep me online and, you know, push me out there. I also want to give a shout out to Tim Wobbler. I just saw a press release where he's going into your Hall of Fame on Saturday. So, yes, Tim. Tim's a fabulous um, administrator. I loved working with him, and congratulations to him as well. It did a lot of great things for uh, the University of Dayton as well. Well, Commissioner, thanks again for the time. Uh, I know this was, uh, like I said, an interview that we had in the works for a really long time, and I know that not only our Dayton listeners, but all the other listeners that I have from all the other programs are really going to appreciate this content and just uh, going back behind the veil to understand a little bit more the inner workings of the conference and what goes into uh, basketball and its scheduling. So thank you again for the time. Thank you. appreciate it, and good luck to you. That's Commissioner Bernadette McGlade of the A-10 Conference. We're going to be right back in the Blackburn Review Podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.